Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast, engaging in unscripted conversations with your hosts, Ben and Spencer. Whether you're tuning in from your car, your office, your home, or anywhere in between, we are so happy to have you join us today. Our mission is simple, to explore the Bible through a powerful lens of love. Together, we'll uncover fresh insights and gain deeper understandings of how we can love God and love the people in our everyday lives. So buckle up and join us on the spiritual journey as we discover timeless wisdom that is just as relevant today as it was thousands of years ago. Without further ado, let's dive right in. Welcome to the Love and Context Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ben. And I'm Spencer. Also another host. Mm-hmm. I just uh, like to throw Ben off. Ben, yeah, here. Exactly. It's kind of like a, an exercise in like, how can I mess with Ben during the podcast? Uh, yeah. Every, it's not just that. It's also like on Sunday morning when we're doing music in practice and you're like, what kind of drum beat can I throw in here to see if it messes with him? Uh-huh. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that is, that's the kind of relationship that we have. On a different note, we did like an all city worship night and mm-hmm. I was doing that all throughout the worship service. Oh yeah, you were. Like I was like, I'm going to do this little thing here and see what Ben does. And there's a couple of times where Ben just like turned his head and was like, what are you? Nobody else noticed. But yep. No, great. I, I have, I definitely have like, it is, it is part of my mental function that I just notice little things like, mm-hmm. and then I pick them up and I've gotten really good at ignoring them, mm-hmm. you know, really good. But sometimes, sometimes it is click over the top. So. All right. We had Pastor Sarah the, over the last couple of weeks, and that was great. I was just listening back to those episodes, and I was like, man, we got to get her on more, which yeah. we are. Yeah. She's going to be coming back in, oh, I don't know when, but a little bit. Yeah, season two. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe just start out the season. It just depends on what we decide to yeah. start out with. Yeah. Next week, we're going to have Caleb Fox. He is a prison minister. Mm-hmm. He's going to he's gonna be coming, prison chaplain. He's going to be coming and sitting with us for a couple of weeks, talking about yeah. the end of Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. But today... You guys are excited. I can tell. I can tell. I can. You're not even listening yet. I'm actually recording it right now, but I can tell that you're excited because we're in Deuteronomy 19 through 25. These are some really cool chapters. Yeah, like really. If there's if there's a chunk of Deuteronomy that you really want to spend time in, this is some of my favorite stuff right here. Well, and if you're if you're wondering about like sections of Deuteronomy that Jesus quotes from a lot, it's actually here because he's yeah. having conversations with the the Pharisees. We'll yeah. we'll point out a few of them along the way, but. If you have not read Deuteronomy 19 through 25, you should do that. Yep. Pause the podcast. Mm-hmm. Put it on audio Bible. Put it on U version. U version is great. Get some coffee. Don't rush. Spend some time. Like let it actually marinate mm-hmm. because we're going to assume that you've read this before before we start discussing yeah. some of these things. Yeah. All right. Once again, I want to preface one of the things we talked about at the beginning of Deuteronomy is it's not necessarily helpful to compare their laws to our modern laws. Mm hmm. We need to make sure that we're contextualizing it with the laws that are around them. And yep. what is God speaking into? What is it actually meant to to correct or change? Yes. Right. Yes. So one of the first things that comes up in chapter 19 of Deuteronomy is this thing called cities of refuge. Now, this is not the first time they've been mentioned. He's just mentioning it again. Mm-hmm. So what's the deals with cities of refuge? Like, what, what, why, why are these even a thing? Because, like, in our modern context, that doesn't even make sense. It's like, hey, listen, if something happens and somebody is after you, go and go to Boston <laughs> Go to Boston and you can hang out there for a while. In our modern context, it's called running. Yeah. Whether that's from the law or from yeah. a life situation or yeah. something like that. Versus here, it's saying like, if something actually happened, yeah. go to these places. Yeah. So the cities of refuge is a place that you're supposed to flee to if something happens that was unintentional. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I want to stress unintentional because there's there's another caveat that they add in here when they're talking about it. So uh, the example that Moses throws out there is if you're in the woods, cutting down some woods and the ax slips in it and it hits somebody else and they die. 
mm-hmm. you flee to these cities of refuge so that if somebody who they're feeling the bloodlust, right? Think about uh, Hatfields mm-hmm. and McCoy. Yeah. That this is where you go to find safety because if you stay in your home, like they're going to come after you, they're going to come after your family, et cetera. Yeah. And that, that's, that's no bueno. Okay. Because it wasn't actually something that you meant to do. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's a, a formula or a procedure for justice in that situation. Yes. Now with that, if you did do it intentionally and this you flee is, to one of these cities. This is not the place for you. This is not the place for you. In fact, he says that you actually need to go and get the elders and the elders are actually going to bring you out of that city and take you back to the place for judgment. Mm-hmm. So this is this is legitimately set up for people who do something unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Now, why is that important? Because that's different than the laws that they had of the land. Mm-hmm. In the laws of the land is if you take from if you take from me and I, I can take from you your life. Yeah. Might makes right. And that's going to come up in just a little bit. So just FYI, there is actually two little mini chiasms. I'm not going to actually uh, draw them out for you in chapter 19, but you can go find them. One centers on the accidental and one centers on the intentional. The center of the first one talks about like what constitutes an accident, something that accidentally happens. Yeah. And then the second one says the responsibility of the elders to make sure that justice is being achieved. Yeah. And then that section concludes with don't move your neighbor's boundary line. Mm-hmm. Now, the boundary line, of course, is your land, and it's going to be your clan's land. It's going to be your family's family's land mm-hmm. for generation after generation after generation. Yeah. And so these boundary lines are meant to mark where these places are. Yeah. Okay? So it's more than just stuff. Mm-hmm. It's actually like their identity. Yeah. So this is more than just don't try to take part of your neighbor's stuff. Okay? Obviously, don't do that. We've read the Ten Commandments. Don't steal. Right? Yeah. But it's broader than that. It's literally more like don't take part of somebody's identity. Yeah, exactly. So when you're talking land in the Old Testament, that was usually inherited down through generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and now we're still in Deuteronomy. Like we're still in the desert wandering years. They're crossing over into the promised land. Yeah. But right. it's about to be different. It's about to be different. Yeah. Versus like land today, like both you and I own a house. And yeah. like if we wanted to sell our house and buy a different house, we could do that. Right. Pretty easily. So it's not necessarily applicable for us. Yeah. But I do actually think that there's a good conversation with here about boundaries in people's lives. In the literal context, it doesn't necessarily apply to the way that we buy and sell houses. But let's talk in a metaphorical context and boundaries. One of the things I've gotten some pushback on over the last couple of years is I said, it's okay to have boundaries in your life. Yeah. Where people say, you know, they say, hey, can you go and do this? You say, I cannot. And they say, Mm -hmm. oh, why are you busy? You don't have to answer someone. Mm -hmm. It's okay if you want to keep that private. Yeah. Because a lot of times when somebody's asking, are you busy? They're looking for a way to convince you that you should do what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. And by the way, people, that's not appropriate. It, it's totally appropriate to ask for help, to invite people in, to explain to them that you really need their help, all those things. But it's not okay to guilt trip people. Yeah, it's actually a form of manipulation. It's absolutely a form of manipulation. Yeah. I, I have grown up in the church and the ga- church is incredibly proficient at gaslighting and manipulating people. Yeah. Now- that is not a church exclusive thing. No. But I think that we guise it up in religious garb mm-hmm. and then we try to justify it away, which by the way, goes back to our conversation. Like I was talking about with Solomon, uh-huh. right? Where Solomon's like, oh, well, I have to have this, this wedding because of a treaty or because of mm-hmm. uni- unity between the tribes or the nations. And all. Yeah, like he justifies why he now has 900 wives. Yeah. Usually we justify these things for righteousness sake. But you can't do evil for righteousness sake, mm-hmm. which is actually maybe your neighbor's line. Yeah. So I, I worked in a ministry a number of years ago where we had one guy who was helping out who was kind of flighty. He was in and out. You never really knew. But So I just told him, I was like, here's what I want from you. 
if you can be there, here's when we're doing things here, the things I'd like you to help out with. If you can be there, let me know. If yeah. you can't, let me know, which is a boundary for you, right? Just let me know. And he would let me know more often than not, it was, he could not be there. So we didn't count on him. We mm-hmm. filled his, filled what he was doing with other people's responsibilities. Yeah. And then when he came back, he's like, oh, well, that's what I usually do. It actually led to a great conversation of like, hey, here's the deal. Like, we've been doing this for a while. We asked if he could be, like, we asked, just let us know if he can be here or can't be here. And so you're now wanting to show back up again. That's great. Why don't you show up for six months and then we'll start adding responsibilities back on your plate. Right. Just show up and be here. You're also helping establish healthy boundaries on your side and his side. Yeah. And just to add some nuance to that conversation, if the guy had come to you and been like, well, I want to talk about like how I can be more involved, then you might have a nuanced conversation about why can't you. Mm -hmm. But that's an invited conversation, not one where I'm demanding answers. Yeah. A good example in my life is I Sabbath Mm -hmm. Friday night to Saturday night. Mm -hmm. I don't work. I don't focus on anything that is work. We've actually gone to the point where they do men's breakfasts, which I actually do really like men's breakfasts because I love bacon, mm-hmm. but they do them on Saturday morning and I don't go. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason I don't go is because every time I go to a church function, it feels a little bit like work mm-hmm. after so many years in ministry. Yeah. I rarely can go to something and just actually relax. Yeah. And it causes me to lose focus, to lose focus on what Shabbat is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And so I've had people ask, they're like, well, you're going to go to men's breakfast. I said, no, I'm not. I said, not because I don't think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing. If we have it on Sunday, I'll be there. Yeah. Have it on Friday. I'll be there. Yeah. And then the the same situation is somebody needed help and they said, well, we really need some help on Saturday. And I showed up and they said, well, I thought you, you Shabbat on Saturday. I said, what I've been very clear on is that I rest and I, we play, we remember that God loves us on, on sh- Sabbath, but loving God and loving other people is more important than that. Yeah. And so when there is a, when there's a situation where I need to love people more than I need my rest, mm-hmm. I'm going to step into that. Now you can only do that occasionally. You can't do that on a regular basis or else your boundary is, is null. Yeah. I was like, but it, it's, it's actually, if you've had conversations with me about Sabbath, it's something I talk about quite a bit Yeah, is that when I have the situation where I need to love people more than my own personal boundary, I'm going to, I'm going to move past that to, to do that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And when Jesus talks about, Hey, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Mm-hmm. Like the other part of that, that we don't often talk about is we need to be willing to accept people's yeses and accept their no's. A lot of times we're like, okay, we'll accept the yes, but then the no comes around and like, we need to question that and figure out why they can't do that. Well, and just one more thing on boundaries, cause we'll, we could stay here for a while. I mean, honestly, we probably will talk about boundaries and maybe a topical episode in mm-hmm. the future, but churches need to start putting together job descriptions and expectations. Yeah. I have seen too many times for pastors, they, they're like, we expect you to be at this and this and this and this, and they find out as they're going. Mm-hmm. I think that if you set clear expectations off the get-go in a job description, it is very helpful. Yeah. But it's not helpful if you give them a job description and then you're asking them to do things that aren't in their job description. Yeah. Last thing on this and let's mm-hmm. move, move on. But last thing on boundaries is also church boards. They need to be willing to back the boundaries that they set for the pastors. Oh, 100%. Because oftentimes a pastor will come in and then volunteers will be like, actually, you're supposed to do this. Yeah. And it's actually the church boards need to be like, no, these are the boundaries we set for our pastoral staff. Yeah. And so those need to be honored. And if volunteers are coming in and be like, actually, you need to do this, 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 and this, the board actually needs to be willing to step in and be like, no, those are not the boundaries we set for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we got to protect our, our pastors as well. Yeah. 
pastors have a tendency to overcommit and overwork, and we need to also enforce their boundaries that they need to rest. Yeah. Yeah. So thus far in 19, it's actually been a lot about justice so far, yeah. which is not surprising. That's continuing on the conversation from last week. Mm-hmm. So with continuing that conversation, uh, in one of the episodes we had with Pastor Sarah, we talked about that there needs to be two witnesses. And he reiterates this again. He says, one witness is not enough. You need two or three witnesses. Now, mm-hmm. that's a really important thing for justice because one person is going to make an accusation. You need to actually be able to corroborate that testimony, mm-hmm. right? One of the things I like to point out here is in America, our word is not very important. Mm-mm. Like people lie all the time. Mm-hmm. I think that it's important to understand that in a Middle Eastern culture, specifically this time period, your word is your entire being. If you give your word, you're committing your life behind it, which is also, which is also, which comes up when Jesus says, if you proclaim with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, right? Mm-hmm. You, when you're saying Jesus is Lord, you say Jesus is Lord. Sorry, Paul says that, but yeah. um, when you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying Caesar is not. Yeah. And you're actually committing your life one way or another. Mm-hmm. So the testimony of one witness isn't enough. If you get two or three people who are witnessing to the same thing, it becomes a more serious accusation because it's a lot more tangible process for them. It's why the it's why the uh, Pharisees actually had to pay off witnesses in the trial of Jesus. Yeah. Is yeah. because there wasn't actually any tangible. And and we do want to point out once again, we are talking about the Jewish mafia. Mm-hmm. When we say Pharisees, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the ruling council. Yeah. I do not want you to associate with the same people that Jesus spent three years with talking in the triangle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are different people. We'll, we'll have a conversation about that at some point. Mm-hmm. So they have to investigate it thoroughly. If the witness is a liar, after the examination, they find them mm-hmm. to be a liar. You actually are supposed to do to the witness what they wanted done to the person who was accused. Mm-hmm. It seems appropriate. Yeah. People will hear about that and they yeah. won't try to do that. Mm-hmm. Now, once again, this reminds me of the unfaithful wife. Yeah. You're coming to the priest and there's recourse. And if you know there's nothing wrong, you're going to go there. He's going to be publicly shamed. Yeah. If you have a witness who brings something against you, you're like, fine, let's go to the priest. Let him examine the situation. I know that I didn't do this. And then you're going to have to deal with whatever repercussions you actually want from me. Yeah. There is a chiasm here again yeah. uh, in, in chapter 19, I'm the little mini one. And it's, it centers on the responsibility of the judges to make diligent inquisition mm-hmm. is the words that it centers on. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're supposed to do the hard work to figure out the truth. It's not a haphazard decision. Yeah. So I have, I have a friend and I really respect him for this. One of his life policies is that the someone has to prove to me themselves whether they're a good or bad person. Meaning that if someone comes up to me and is like, hey, you don't want to spend time with that person because of this. He's like, no, they have to prove that to me. Yeah. Like that person has to prove that to me because there is a chance that they could be a changed person from when that other person knew them. Oh, absolutely. And, and he's like, he's like, yeah, I've been burned a number of times by that policy. He's like, but I'm not letting that go because I've also had a number of times where people have been like, this person's a horrible person and then you get to know them and you're like, actually they're not, they're a wonderful person. Well, there are people in, in this town who mm-hmm. have said some questionable things about me and me and you. Well, I, I was going to leave you off. Yeah. People only say good things about Spencer. <laughs> I don't know. And, you know, the biggest thing I have to say is I was like, get to know me and make the determination for yourself. Yeah. Listen, I'm going to love people even if they say bad things about me. Yeah. It's like, that's part of loving my enemies. And, and there's also just the element for when you do have bad things hurled against you, shake the dust off your feet. And yeah, I've been prepping some of the questions that are coming mm-hmm. up in our Q and A in like four weeks. Yeah. One of the things I notice in the Q and A's is that like questions, comments that we get mm-hmm. usually are about things that our people are unsure about, or mm-hmm. they like to argue about. And I'm not going to stop saying those things, guys. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if you don't like me because of it, but we need to have real conversations about these things. 
Uh, if you dislike me because I'm trying to have a real conversation, I can live with that. Mm-hmm. We're going to make content and you get to make all the comments you want. Yeah. Real conversations require disagreement, require struggle. Well, you think like a couple of weeks ago, like Pastor Sarah and I, we, we had some disagreements about uh-huh. what does giving and tithing look like. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter. We're going to figure it out together. You guys haven't talked since then. We <laughs> just joking. Oh man, no. I, I did text her and say, ask her if she watched the the video on YouTube and and if she was okay with the way she looked, <laughs> because we did not forewarn her that we were videoing. Okay, true story. So uh, this section of, of chapter uh, nineteen actually ends with uh, this conversation about uh, it's a mo- quote, quote that we're pretty familiar with: "Life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot." So we talked about Samson and we talked about this escalation of evil that happens in the book of Judges mm-hmm. in the story of Samson. And it's, you don't take an eye for a hand and you don't take a life for an eye. Mm-hmm. You don't attack somebody's family because you're mad at the person. Mm-hmm. A lot of times this quote has come up in historically in w- when people have used this quote, it's usually one people who don't really follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they use this quote to justify getting even. Yeah. This this isn't about getting even. It's no. about making sure there's non-escalation. Well, and I think more than that, too, it's about make sure you're doing your best to treat each other fairly. Exactly. Because it's coming on the heel of don't lie. Yeah. Don't, don't move your neighbor's boundaries. If you do something accidentally, here's where you flee. Don't take an eye for a tooth or a, mm-hmm. or a life for an eye. Like It has to be equal to what is actually going on. Someone takes your hand, you don't deserve their head. Which, once again, looking at the code around them, Hammurabi's code, Mm -hmm. looking at some of the Chaldean codes, if somebody attacks you, you have the right to just go and demolish them. Mm -hmm. And God says, nope, you don't get that right. Mm -hmm. And that's important. Yeah. Now, out of that as well, Jesus references this in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. He says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say unto you, to pray for those who persecute you. Yes. Jesus is correcting what it was always supposed to be. Mm-hmm. This was always supposed to be about treating the people around you better, mm-hmm. about actually bringing kingdom to earth, about being set apart and holy, yeah. different. And and please hear that because it's also in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, I'm here to fulfill the law, right. not abolish it. And then, but you read through the Sermon on the Mount and if you just take it at face value, you can be like, well, he's changing it. And so you actually... He's telling you what it was always supposed to be. Yeah, he's telling you what it was supposed to be. Yeah. And so he's he's correcting the perverted views that we had that they had at the time. Yeah, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna link a episode in the show notes from Bema. It's called yeah. Abolish or Fulfill. Where where Marty really talks good. about that and it's really good. Really good. Yeah. And uh just helping you understand what does it actually mean when you say yeah. abolish or fulfill. Yeah. So going into chapter twenty, they're continuing this conversation, but now he shifts and he's talking about they're about to go into conquest, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> they're going to have to go into the land, and we've had a lot of conversations about the lands. So I'm not going to rehash the conversation we've had about does put to death mean put to death sometimes, but not always necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's important though that he reminds them you're going to go and face odds that are way better than you. Yeah, people that are way better, they have way better weapons, mm-hmm. they got way better technology, they have more people. So don't be afraid because God's going with you. Yeah. I, I find that highly encouraging because uh, I don't know about you, but I often feel outnumbered in the world. Yeah. Same here. This is as good a call for us as, as don't worry about it. God's going with you. Mm-hmm. And, and for application for us, like look at how many, uh, we've talked about this, but the number of ridiculous battle plans the Lord's laid out for Israel. Mm-hmm. Yep. Hey, go march around the city. Yep. Blow horns, shout. 
hey, 300 of you is going to take down over 120,000. Yep. By the way, you're not going to use any weapons. It's like, okay. Side note on that one, I once had someone tell me a story of Gideon. They're like, well, the reason that was is because they were, the army was in the valley, they were on the hillsides, and each torch could have represented up to 10,000 soldiers. So they could have thought that they had a hundred or 300,000 soldiers and the armies down below could have been scared. And I was like, I was like, there's one problem with that argument. And they're like, what? I was like, there is no way to make 300 sound like 300,000. Mm-hmm. Like even in that context, there is no way. And even if that's the case, are you, are you telling me that 30,000 wouldn't have looked like 3 million? Uh-huh. Yeah. Y- you know, I'm, I like, and, and so like, you got to understand what is the point of the story is the point is that God won the battle. Yeah, exactly. Right? It was, the battle belongs to God. Exactly. Not to you. There is a couple of things here that I, I just want to know because I think it's it's just good practice in in probably military, but I'm just going to mention in the military. So they actually excuse people for certain reasons. If a person's built a house but they haven't lived in it yet, yeah. Once again, much more tied to the land than we are. Uh-huh. A person with a vineyard that hasn't enjoyed it yet, because mm-hmm. otherwise, in both of those situations, somebody else might enjoy it if you die in battle. Yeah. Uh, if you're pledged to be married and you've not been married yet, mm-hmm. go get married. And actually later they're going to talk about that you get a full year before you actually are required to show up for military service. Mm-hmm. Sometime when we talk about Hebrew weddings, we'll actually go into some context about like the ways that they, like why they have a year, but they have a year that they're, they're excused from civic duty. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is anyone who is faint hearted so that they don't affect anyone else. Now, I actually think that's probably one of the best things that we could take for our churches today. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we are trying to, convince people to go into battle that are faint hearted. Yeah. And the fact that they go with us actually discourages everyone else. Mm-hmm. There are people who are worry warts mm-hmm. and their worry becomes infectious. Uh-huh. And sometimes it's okay to just say, Hey, why don't you stay home and watch the house? Mm-hmm. Cause we got to go and we got to go and take some ground. Mm-hmm. It's going to be much more productive for you to worry about things over here. Yeah than it is for you to worry about what we're going to do. Now, notice they, he doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't say that any of these people are bad people. Mm-hmm. It just says that if they are faint-hearted, leave them home. Yeah. We actually want people who are sold out to the mission. Mm-hmm. Pastors, we actually want people who are sold out for the mission. Mm-hmm. I'd rather five people sold out for God than 500 who are whimsadaisical about it. Yeah. I think the presentation of sold out can differ too mm-hmm. from person to person. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm not, what I'm not suggesting is that every person is like, let's go take, blah, 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 blah. you know, like I'm not saying yeah. everybody, like everybody's personality is going to be different, mm-hmm. but you want people who are committed to the cause of, of the kingdom, which is to love God, love other people and that all the world would know. Yeah. So the next thing on war that they mention here in this Deuteronomy 20 is that you have to offer peace first. Can't just go in and wail on them. You have to go in and say, "Hey, let's make peace." Mm-hmm. If they're like, "No," then you have the option to go. And which, so, which, by the way, I, I was actually thinking about that as you were saying it. Is uh, it makes it so that you can't have any surprise attacks on your enemy? Yeah, yeah, you can't have. You're not being sneaky. Yeah, yeah. And in Deuteronomy twenty, you're going in with genuine. Let's make peace. If they don't want that, then there's then there's war that could happen. Yeah. And this actually leads into what Jesus actually talks about in John 17 when it's correcting your neighbor. Yeah. Where where it's like, no, you go in with a conversation first. Right. 
And and to to be specific, they are specifically talking about cities that are not part of the land that's been promised. Them. Yes. So because we're going to get to that. So some of you are already typing and like, mm-hmm. hold on, we're going to get to those. Mm-hmm. But basically, they go and they will they will offer them peace. If they accept, you're not going to attack them. And if they refuse, then you have to go to war with them and, yes. and drive them out. And that's how you're going to treat all the cities that are nearby that are not part of the land that's been given to you. Now, the flip side of that, if it, they are from the land that has been given to you, you got to go clean house. Yes. Um, in verse 18, it says, Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. So how do I know in the book of Joshua they don't drive everybody out? Because they teach them all the detestable things and they do in worshiping their gods and they still sin against the Lord their God. Yep. I, I do want to make, make a note here because I think this is a really interesting piece. It says, when laying siege, don't destroy food-bearing trees. Because Moses says, are the trees people that you should besiege them? Like, mm-hmm. obviously the answer is no. And really practically too, like if you're going to take over a chunk of land, you don't want to destroy the agriculture. Yeah. You want to be able to feed yourself from that. So if you're going in and once again, this is, this is just, these are just hints. And so I'm just giving you guys hints on why I wouldn't necessarily say that they go and they destroy everyone. Yeah. One of the reasons you would leave fruit producing trees is because there's still going to be a population that needs it to eat. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. maybe not a warrior population, but there is going to be a population. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of hints going on here. I just want to lay that for you to consider mm-hmm. when we're talking about this, this literature. Yeah. Okay. You do not have to agree with me. This is one where I'm completely fine with you completely disagreeing with me, mm-hmm. but it is something that I have been more convinced on. The more I look into uh, ancient literature, writing styles, and what was going on in the history in this, yeah. in this area, it does not conflict with the biblical account because this is the way things would have been written. Yeah. Okay. So then they go into chapter 21 and, uh, we have our first murder mystery. <laughs> it's it's a good old episode procedural here. It's titled as Unsolved Murder. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the customs in this area are foreign to us, but the implication is this, of this section. It says that if somebody was murdered, you need to take care of them. Mm-hmm. You need to bring out the elders, do the atonement offerings, bless, lift up to God. You are responsible to the person even if you're not the one that murdered them. Yes. There's a little chiasm here in verse five. It centers on the Levitical priest shall step forward for the Lord. Your God has chosen them to minister and to pronounce blessings in the name of the Lord and to decide all cases of dispute and assault. Mm -hmm. You have a responsibility as a kingdom of priests to take care of people, even if you weren't the ones who did it. Yes. And you don't know who did it. Mm -hmm. This next one is, is a little bit strange. So I want to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. (laughs) Is that cool? All right. So in verses uh, 10 through 14, it talks about if you want to marry a woman who is uh, captive or not, not Israel, mm-hmm. not Israelite. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a procedure that you have to go through. They have to shave their head. They got to go into mourning for a month and then you're able to take them into your family and they're like part of the country. Mm-hmm. And you're like, Ben, why do you care about that? Well, I want to remind you about a little book called Ezra. Mm-hmm. Ezra, and it's in chapter 10. After the Israelites have gone into captivity and now they have come back out of Babylon. So this is towards the end of the story uh, before Jesus. There's a guy by the name of Ezra who is helping them rebuild and he finds the book of the law and he reads it in their presence. Like he's, he stands and they read the read, read all of the book of the law in that section. They realize that they weren't supposed to intermarry with the people around them. Mm -hmm. And so the men of Israel send their wives and their children away in their zeal to follow the law. That is a very good example of reading the law and not understanding the heart of the law. Mm -hmm. Because what they've now done is they've created widows 
orphans. They, they've given them nothing and sent them away. Mm-hmm. And in their pursuit of, of doing the right thing for God, following the law, they've actually missed the greater portion of the law, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, I was reading this through with my wife, and my wife is brilliant sometimes in her, in her observations. So we're reading through Ezra together, and she says, but isn't there a prescription for this in Torah? I was like, is there? Like, Because I, I didn't remember this from Deuteronomy 21. And so we go there, and sure enough, there is. Mm-hmm. So you know what they could have done is asked all of their wives to shave their head, go into mourning for a month, and then everybody would have been legitimate. Yeah. And that would have been honoring to God. Mm-hmm. But instead, they acted with zeal, but not in the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I want to I point out that God doesn't necessarily condemn them for this. Because there is there is a zeal and the heart is in the right place, but there is now going to be generational hurt in that area and probably more conflict in Israel than there should be because you're getting thousands of families being torn apart, yeah, in pursuit of God, yeah, which is not just not the heart of God, no. I think there is a practical application of having zeal where you're willing to push the worldly things aside. Exactly. Right. There is that practical application of having that zeal where you're like, I'm not going to keep up with the Joneses mm-hmm. or I'm not going to buy into this thing that the world offers, whatever that might be. I'm being very vague because mm-hmm. everybody's situation is a little different. But there is also the very practical of like, hey, God is a God who is for the widow and orphan, mm-hmm. where there's actually prescriptions for what do you do for welcoming the foreigner in. Mm-hmm. And this would actually be doing the opposite of that prescription Yeah, that's listed, that's listed there. And it's actually one of the reasons why James, in his book, New Testament, actually corrects that at the end of James 1. Don't neglect the widows and orphans. And the reason I bring that up is, the thing I love is when people are like, and we're, I think we're going to do a miniseries on James at some point. Yeah, probably in season two. Probably, yeah. But the thing, reason I love that is because a lot of times people are like, James is an awesome book. Did you know James is primarily written to Jewish people and it's like 95% quotes from Torah? I knew that, but a lot of people don't. Yeah, like that's, it's James wrote to the 12 tribes of Israel scattered amongst the nations, and he primarily quoted to them. And, and depending on who you ascribe authorship to, it would make total sense for him to write that to the Jewish people. Yes. To the Jewish followers of Jesus. It's one of those things, okay, so like, obviously in the New Testament, Paul addresses it mm-hmm. because he has to, because yep. people will start missing it. It's like, what if you come to faith and your and your spouse doesn't believe? Well, Paul has to address it too because he's he's primarily writing to a Gentile context. Yeah, like in in majority of his writing, and that was a very that was a very common thing where like pe- where people from their community are bringing people to Jesus, and one person's coming to Jesus. And so, what Paul actually says is, if your unbelieving spouse wants to stay with you, you stay with them, mm-hmm. and if they want to leave, you don't hold them back. Mm-hmm. That is uh, that is a very grace filled way to do that. Because you're like, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus. If you want to stay, you can stay, but I'm not changing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to take care of you. Like, can you imagine that same context if somebody comes to Christ and their wife or their spouse doesn't? I'm just going to say spouse because it's not wife exclusive. Yeah. And their spouse doesn't. And they're like, well, I'm a Christian now, so I can't be unequally yoked. So I'm just going to divorce you. Do you understand how in observance of the unequally yoked, you're actually betraying something that God is actually calling you to be? You need to actually be able to interpret Torah correctly. You need to actually be able to see how these things work, which is why it's very important that we understand that there are 
weightier portions to the law than others. Now, some of you heard me just say that, and you heard me say that some parts of the law are unimportant. No. That is not what I said. They're all very important, but when they are in conflict, you default to the weightier, which is why Jesus says that the two greatest commands are love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the number one. If you're going to default to anything, it's always that. Yeah. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that we interpret through Torah and how we obey God has to go through that lens if we follow Jesus. Just draw a parallel to like the legal system in the U.S. Mm -hmm. a little bit. Like there are greater consequences for breaking some laws than there are for others. Yes. Uh, a few months ago, I got a parking ticket. That's okay. Shame shameful. I went and paid my parking ticket. You know, that happened. Okay. Now, if I went and committed tax fraud. There's more significant consequences. There's more significant yeah. consequences. Yeah, exactly. Right. The next thing they talk about is the rights of the firstborn. And one of the reasons I wanted to point this out is if you have, in this time, you might have multiple wives or multiple spouses. And if you have kids from multiple women, you can't choose the kid that you like the most and make them your firstborn, mm -hmm. which the reason I point this out, and I think it's really funny that Moses points this out, that's exactly what Jacob did. Mm-hmm. Like, who's his firstborn? Technically Reuben. And uh, he's like, nope, I want Joseph to be my firstborn, which is why he gets the second coat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You have that later with Ephraim and Manasseh, the kids of Joseph, uh -huh. that they both become tribes in Israel. Mm -hmm. They actually take the place of Joseph. You might want once again say that they get a double portion. Yeah. So Moses actually speaks into that. And by the way, I don't, I'm not saying that I think that Moses is speaking against Ephraim and Manasseh. I'm thinking what he's saying is you need to make sure that your firstborn is your firstborn. Mm -hmm. and that you're treating them correctly. Yeah. You're not just, you're not favor, favoring specific children over over the ones who are actually given the responsibility by God. Yeah. Oh, hey, this next section is one of my favorites, the rebellious son, right? <laughs> so, how many times have you heard the rebellious son like quoted growing up? Oh, a few. A few. So the the essentially the rebellious son, so we're not going to get all into this, but I'm going to just give some high level things that I think are helpful. It's not just a rebellious son. This is somebody who is defiantly against everything that you have going. Mm -hmm. They are persistently avoiding correction and trying to do their own thing. Mm -hmm. This is not just some, oh, I didn't listen to dad today. Well, you're a rebellious son and we're going to take you out and stone you. Uh -huh. No, this is this is somebody, you would essentially put them as public enemy number one. Mm -hmm. Like they, they are a trouble in the community. Yeah. Okay. So first off, secondly, in all of Jewish history, I think they found one recording of it ever happening. Mm -hmm. You know, that's it's even debatable about whether or not that actually happened. Yeah. But only one time of this actually being enforced. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what is the purpose of this if it's not to be enforced? The purpose is that you're supposed to live in harmony with the people around you. Mm -hmm. And that you don't just let your kids get away scot-free. You actually hold them accountable and teach them to obey. Mm-hmm. Different time period, different language. If you think about, especially surrounding cultures, depending on how much power you had in a community, the kids could get away with murder. Yeah. Literally. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be the case. Mm -hmm. I mean, if only there was something relevant in America with powerful people and their kids getting away with murder, huh? I think that's a different podcast. Right. That's probably a different <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but there is, there is, a, there, I mean, we, we understand that mentality. Yeah. No, you actually need to hold the kids accountable. Uh-huh. Parents, you have a responsibility to raise your kids in a way that's right. Yeah. Or you have a responsibility to step in and correct it. Mm -hmm. You have a profound responsibility that God will bless you in, but you, it's still your responsibility. Yes. 
So in verses 22 and 23, they talk about how you're not supposed to leave somebody on a pole overnight, mm-hmm. and you're actually supposed to go and bury them. Mm-hmm. Now, immediately, what do you think of? Jesus. Jesus. It, there's not an accident. Like, they're definitely referencing that when they talk about the Jews, like, bringing them down. Now, I find it super interesting. You're talking about them bribing officials and, and witnesses and all those things. Like, like the ruling council is very particular about what laws they're persistent about following and which ones mm-hmm. they're not. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we can't leave them up on a pole, but we can bribe an official, right? <laughs> like... Right. Sometimes, sometimes we'll go through the crucifixion and we'll have, maybe we'll even do a mini series where we talk yeah. about crucifixion because it's just such a profound, it's such a profound event yeah. that radically changes everything. Mm-hmm. But there, there is just some stuff going on there that you're like, I don't understand you ruling council. You're very strange. Like, yeah, the, cruc- I think they struggle maybe with trying to follow God, but also trying to accomplish their own agenda. Well, this crucifixion, if you look at it from the Pharisees' perspective and whether or not they're following the laws, it's it's pretty comical yeah. on one level. Where it's like, oh, you're you're just very selective about what law you want yeah. to fit your need in this moment. Yeah. And, well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. All right. So let's go into chapter 22 and there's going to be a lot of various laws here. So Spencer and I are going to kind of just fire back and forth on these. The first one is regarding other people's stuff, living at peace with other people. If their ox goes straying, don't ignore it. Yeah. If you see somebody like, like they're in trouble, help them. Mm -hmm. If they live far away, take their stuff home until they can come get it and then give it to them. Same with other stuff. Like their, their donkey, if you see it fall into a pit, if they loan you their cloak, all those type of things. By the way, Jesus actually is going to reference that when he's talking about the Sabbath yeah. with people. If you see it in, if you see it in a pit, help them out. Mm-hmm. Like, don't just leave their their stuff in a pit. Like, you actually got to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Yeah. There's also a rule in here is talking about representing yourself as you were made. And then they're going to talk about women in men's clothing and men in women's clothing. It, it would be really easy for us to get into a conversation about sexual fluidity and all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. The big thing that's going on here is be who you're made to be. Yes. Be who God has called you to be. We could have a broader conversation about those those topics at another time, but I don't want to get bogged down into here because I think people take this and they use it to beat people over the head, and that's not necessarily what they're talking about with the Jewish people at this point. Yeah. There is some application, but it's not. It, we shouldn't be using it to beat up other people. If you guys have questions on that, feel free to email us, Yeah, contact us. That's fine. But just know that that's not what we're talking about today. Correct. Yeah. You so, can take eggs, but not the birds, so you can live long on the land. So, I mean, like what it's referring to here is like longevity, right? Yeah. Like if you go kill the bird that's laying the eggs, yeah. guess what? You, you have more eggs. You have a meal for a day. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. Right? How, how effective would it be with all your chickens to just go butcher all your chickens? I mean, I, I, at one level, that'd be very effective for you because they're driving you crazy. <laughs> but it wouldn't actually be effective for long-term egg production. No, it wouldn't be effective for that. I mean, we'd have food for a while because we got a lot of chickens. We got my... My wife went overboard with chickens. Yeah. And then after that, some friends of ours also had some chickens that they were like, oh, does Spencer want more chickens? And I said, yes, he does. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. if you kill the chicken, yeah. you have a meal for a day, but then your eggs yeah. are gone. Like you lose the longevity of that food source. Exactly. Like these are pract- very practical. Also, what comes up, it says put railings on your on your dwelling so that if people are there, they don't fall off and hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to be guilty for negligence. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to know that there's a building code that's actually taken from the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> the next one is don't mix seeds when planting. Now, in a modern context, uh, you can kind of create your garden how you want to. Well, yeah, we have like these fancy tools where we can like line up yeah. rows and all these different things. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like they were just throwing seed. And so yeah. like 
if you try to throw strawberry bushes with tomato bushes, I'm just throwing them out there, like one of them is going to strangle out the other. Yeah. And then uh, you're going to end up with nothing. Yeah. And there are some, like, there are some bushes that they do grow well together. Like, you see that in the natural environment. Mm-hmm. Like, blueberries, huckleberries, stuff like that. We live in Alaska. That's right. just easy to pick on. Like, they grow well together. Right. Well, it'd be interesting. It yeah. would be interesting in the Hebrew if mixed seed means like seeds of different species. Yeah, of of fruit. So of different regions. That's something to be mindful of. When we lived in Washington for a while, there was this plant called Scotch broom uh-huh. that was everywhere. They, it was an invasive plant, right. but it just took over. Right. Like if there was a sunny spot, it would just take over. It would strangle out all the other plant. It, it would. It could actually like wreck ecosystems and like all sorts of stuff. So. If you, like at least at the place we worked at, there's about 400 acres and every year we had to spend a couple weeks going through and just pulling out the scotch broom. Every year, some of it would come back and it would get less and less and less, but we had, we had to take care of getting that invasive species out. So when you're talking mixing seeds, you are to also talking about people who are coming from Egypt mm-hmm. and they're going up to Israel or, yeah. or where we know as modern day Israel. And as much as those climates are similar, they are different as well. Absolutely. And so when you talk about mixing seeds, like what you could do is, but if you bring your seed from your old life into your new life, it actually causes damage. Mm, that'll that'll preach all day. Yeah. Don't plow with an ox and a donkey. That's another one. I, I don't, uh, there's probably somebody who knows why you shouldn't do that. My assumption is that they don't get along. Mm-hmm. That you're you're actually going to struggle with both animals if you put them together. But somebody who has ox and donkey, feel free to email us and tell us exactly why. I'm sure there's a good reason. Well, there's actually a strength difference too of oh, being yeah. equally yoked. Yeah, one's one stronger than the other. Sure, then you'll have one pulling way harder than the other. Yeah. So if anybody knows a reason beyond those, email us because we'd love to hear. Mm-hmm. Don't wear blended fabrics. Right now, I think this is interesting because a lot of people are. Well, why wouldn't you wear blended fabrics? So in this context, it was so that you could be set apart. Right. Like, because you're not supposed to be mixed. You're mm-hmm. not supposed to intermix. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of those are practical reminders. Like, the way that you live is a is a testament to who you're supposed to be. Could you imagine us today trying to go clothes shopping and finding clothes that are just 100% one material? Yeah. Have a conversation with Marty about that sometime. Okay. Marty Solomon. Like, him and his wife, when they decided to embrace the Jewish portion of his life, because he's he's genetically Jewish, mm-hmm. right? Like, they started to try to observe Torah however they could, mm-hmm. were those things. He said, finding clothes is the hardest. Yeah. So hard. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> the next one is uh, to put tassels on your robe. Now, that actually shows up earlier in the text. They talk about putting tassels on the robe. It is the kanafot of your zitziot. It's, a, mm-hmm. it's on the tassels on the, on the corner of your, of your, ro- of your outer robe. This is important because it's also called the wing. Yeah. And in the New Testament, Jesus is actually going to be walking through the city and a woman with an issue of blood is going to reach out and touch the conifote of his zitziot. Mm-hmm. She's going to touch the tassels of his robe because in the Bible, it says that God has healing in his wings. She knows her text that she's communicating with the text. She knows that if she touches this portion, yeah. that she'll find healing because of who Jesus is. And what he represents. <clears throat> yeah. Just a fun little aside into the text for you. Yeah. All right. So then the next one is they're, they're talking about marriage violations. So this section, by the way, is very difficult. There's a couple of sections in here where they're going to talk about marriage and some different things that are very difficult. And I want to just remind you once again, do not compare this to modern mm-hmm. life. Also, don't assume that everything that is being said is the right thing to do, but it is moving the needle forward in what's going on. Yeah. Okay. So started off 
right? Yep. So if a man marries a woman, yep, sleeps with her, yep, decides nah, meh, <laughs> and then claims she wasn't a virgin, the parents are to produce the bloody cloth. Okay. So this I need to add a little bit of context to because this is a little confusing. Uh huh. So uh, Jewish wedding ceremony, you get married and then you immediately go to the betrothal chamber, uh huh, and that's where you consummate the the marriage. Yeah. And then you take the bloody cloth because if the person has never had relations before, they're going to bleed. Mm-hmm. And you actually give the bloody cloth to the best man who takes it to the family. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes the the testament that the father and mother gave a, a virgin to be married. Mm-hmm. And that seems very strange in our culture, and it would be very strange in our culture. Yeah, It's just, it's a very different culture. Now, why is it really important that you understand that? Because Paul's going to talk about it in the New Testament. He's going to say that you were not able to produce a bloody cloth. Mm-hmm. So Jesus produced it on your behalf. Yeah. Now we're going to be like, bros. No, this is actually a beautiful piece of imagery that Paul weaves together the truth of the scriptures and, and something that they're very familiar with. And like, once again, talking about us being the bride of Christ as the bride of Christ, we could never produce a bloody cloth. And it goes back to what you were saying, where your word was everything. Yeah. Like if the parents actually gave up their daughter for marriage and she was a virgin, and then the man comes back and says, no, she wasn't. They would provide this as evidence. Yeah. And if they couldn't, mm-hmm. guess who got in trouble? The father. The father. Because it was the father's word yeah. that that clarified this. Now, that brings a whole new connotation to make sure your parents know what you're up to. Mm-hmm. Because can you imagine if you are a woman growing up in that time and you lie about your promiscuity and now your lie actually cost your father his life mm-hmm. because he vouches for you. Yeah. That is, by the way, that's not to put the onus on women. I'm just talking about this as an example. Yeah. Yeah. Deuteronomy 22, 22. Okay. New Living Translation. If a man is discovered committing adultery, both he and the woman must die. And this way, he will purge Israel of such evil. Hmm. I feel like I've heard a story about a man and a woman caught in adultery, and yet the man seems nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, Jesus was there, and he was drawing a beautiful picture in the sand. Yeah. He was, he was drawing some things in the dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Once again, this point of like, we're okay bribing the officials, but we're also, you know, we're going to make sure, hey, we're going to try to catch you with uh, with a law from Torah, but we're only going to hold the woman accountable. I actually heard a commentary on time on this where the guy was like, it's actually where he's like, there's a really good argument that the man who was caught was actually a religious leader mm. and didn't bring himself forward yeah, for the sake of maintaining his life. It's it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible. That is that is speculation, of course. It is speculation. But by the, for the fact that he's not there means it's somebody that the Pharisees or the ruling council didn't want thrown under the bus. Yeah. So yeah. we're not going to get into a, a bunch of these other ones. The, these retire a lot of context because it talks about unpermissible sexual activity. Mm-hmm. Okay. It requires a, a nuanced conversation and contextual analysis. Yeah. But I want to let you like point out that many of these laws hold the aggressor accountable where they would not have been before. Yeah. It's about adding more equity to a bad situation, mm-hmm. right? This is not to say that the things that happened are acceptable, yeah. right? But it's about moving forward with the higher levels of equity and justice for women. Yeah. And we're so we're going to be jumping into 23 through 25. These are great chapters for you to go read, go study. Yeah. They're awesome. We we're just going to be bullet pointing through these real quick. 
Yeah, yeah. So starting off here, it talks about the assembly of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Some people are not allowed to be in there. So if you are emasculated, which means you either have uh, bruised manhood or no manhood, Mm -hmm. why aren't you allowed to be in? Well, you're supposed to bear the sign of the covenant. Mm -hmm. Forbidden, if you're part of a forbidden marriage. Why? Because you're supposed to be set apart. Mm -hmm. Now, once again, stop following hard and fast rules. This is meant to really instruct them on the way that they're supposed to be. No Ammonite or Moabite because they had no generosity and they enticed the prophet Balaam to to curse them. Then it goes on to some really practical ones I want to talk about, like when they go camping. If you go camping, dig a latrine outside of the camp. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Don't poop in your campsite. (laughs) Yeah, we've talked about like, you know, sin like pooping in your house. Mm -hmm. Not great. If a slave runs away and, and seeks refuge with you, do not send them back to their master. You actually need to uh, take them in. By the way, that's going to be really inter- really good to understand when you take into account Paul writing his letter to Philemon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next one on the camping regulations is uh, one that we should all be all be wary about. Don't become a prostitute <laughs> camping. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily connected to the camping, but it's definitely you shouldn't be a prostitute. Yeah, yeah. Don't become a prostitute and don't bring pr- prostitution money into the house of God. So. Don't go engage in behavior you're not supposed to be in and then try to bring that to bless the house of God. Yeah. God definitely doesn't want that money. Yeah. I said that because Ben put the don't be a prostitute in our notes under the camping section. You're welcome. And so I was like, yeah, we're going to make, we're going to poke fun at that. Don't charge your fellow Israelite interest. It's okay to charge Mm -hmm. a foreigner once again, but like you're not supposed to, if you're lending to people that you know. Yeah. Don't charge them interest. Yeah. Also, I want to point out that even if you're charging the foreigner interest, previous law where it says that there need not be any poor among you still applies. Mm-hmm. So you can't charge them interest so that makes them poor. Yeah. Next one is don't make promises to God that you don't plan to keep. Yeah. He didn't force you to do it. No. So if you're going to make it, do it. Yeah. And don't put off doing it. And this goes, this goes again, ties back to Jesus when he's saying, hey, let your yes be yes, me and be no. Uh-huh. Right. Now, in our conversations with God, our relationship, hopefully, with God is a little different than our relationship with some of the people around us. Like, let's be, let's clarify that. But still, yes, be yes, and no, be no. The next two are about food, and and I basically boil them down to this: if you're at somebody's house, it's okay to eat stuff out of their fridge, but maybe don't go shopping in their fridge. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like one of them is you're actually sharing the production of their field, uh-huh. and the other one is you're actually taking for yourself. From their game. So my mom laughs at me every time I come and visit because it is such a hap- No, it's, it's like <laughs> I live in a different state and I'll fly down, I'll go see my mom. And then first thing I do is I walk in, I'm like, hey, mom. And then I go to the fridge and I open it and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, this is just such an ingrained habit from my 20s. Yeah. That like. It's, it's, it just kicks it. Yeah. It's just, it's such an ingrained habit. I'm like, I'm just going to go and say hi. I'm going to go open the fridge, see what's there. And it's like. Usually I'm not hungry. I'm just like, okay. Yeah. So the next piece, and it starts in chapter 24, it's going to talk about divorce. And I just want to specify once again that it's a lot more complicated than churches make it. Yeah. That that there is provisions, but the provisions are really meant to keep peace in the, in the land. And Jesus says it's because of your hard heart that you were even given a writ of divorce. Mm-hmm. However, this section of 24, I actually think is helpful if you're going to read that before you read the conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. Yes. This is where I was talking about the recently married people are not supposed to be sent to war. He also says in this section, he says, don't take the millstones. So the way that somebody actually produces their wealth, like their working utensils, don't use that as a security against their debt. Mm -hmm. If you are a delivery person, I should not take your car in security against your debt. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because that's how you're actually going to make your living and actually pay me. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm actually literally making it impossible for you to do that. Which is really interesting when you say this, because there's actually parables where Jesus was like, 
oh, this person owed money, so he was thrown in prison until he could pay. Yeah. And then we read that and be like, oh, well, the that's how God treats people who owe him. And it's like, no, Jesus was actually drawing a picture here of like, how is that person going to pay if he's in prison? Yeah. Which leads us to Jesus paying the price for us. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody coming in and paying the price on their behalf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're we're going to talk about the parables at some point. A lot of times in the parables, we try to make them all allegorical, with and we miss the context of what God is talking about, yeah. what Jesus yeah. is talking about. So this is a good one. If you get skin diseases, make sure that you follow the letter, the law to the letter, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't want skin diseases to spread everywhere. They spread very easily. Mm-hmm. In a post-COVID society, we should understand that if you're sick, you need to follow the letters of the law. Mm-hmm. Versus a 10 through 13, they reference like this whole thing with a cloak that if you have a cloak and somebody is poor, you need to take it back to them by night. This is something that Jesus references when he's talking about justice, when he's talking about turning the other cheek. Yeah. Sometimes we'll talk about turning the other cheek, but it does not mean what you necessarily think it means. It actually means standing up to oppression and injustice. Mm-hmm. Pay people on time. That's a good role. Yeah. Or you're not going to have employees. Don't deprive those people outside of justice, the foreigners. Remember that you were outsiders once. And leave the uncut corners of your field for the poor. Mm -hmm. That's actually going to come up in the book of Ruth. Yeah. So chapter 25, if somebody's going to be punished, you can't do more than 40 lashes, which, I mean, sounds like a lot to me. Mm -hmm. But you can't do more than 40 lashes. Otherwise, you are going to degrade them in the sight of the people around them. Yeah. So your punishment when when you're restoring justice should never degrade the individual in the sights of the people. Yeah. That's a really important thing mm-hmm. for us to hear. Yeah, another thing that's referenced in the book of Ruth, it talks about continuing the line if your brother dies, that you're actually supposed to take your brother's wife and actually sire a child for her. And it's going to be your brother's line that's continued. Mm-hmm. Now we are go, oh, that's gross. Well, it's all tracked through paternal lines. So what you're actually doing is making sure your brother's line doesn't go nowhere. Yeah. It's really important. And it's actually a very loving thing that you can do for the family and for the wife. Mm-hmm. Also, you're not supposed to have different weights, dishonest weights, dishonest scales. We've talked about that yeah. before, right? You you should not be a sneaky, mischievous individual. I mean, to be fair, I don't mind a dishonest scale if it's after like a Christmas meal. Uh, I don't <laughs> think that's what he's talking about. You know, and it's it and like the bigger thing here is you shouldn't be underhanded. You shouldn't be sneaky. You know, yeah. think about back to war. You're supposed to go and give them offer a piece first. Yeah. You're not going to sneak attack them. Yeah. Like you need to be a straightforward, honest person. Mm-hmm. This is who God is. This is who you're supposed to be. So these these are a bunch of laws that we run into in, in Deuteronomy 19 through 25. Like at the last couple of weeks, we've seen that you're supposed to make sure that the judges are stout, that they're doing their job. And it's supposed to, you're supposed to tithe and it's going to create you to be a more generous person. In fact, next week when we have Caleb, we're going to talk about the tithe more. Mm-hmm. They are supposed to create inside of you to be the generous kind of person. And a generous kind of person has these attributes. Yeah. They don't have dishonest scales. Yeah. They are promoting equity with mm-hmm. people. They're not just throwing women to the side. They are not commodities. They're people. Yeah. People made in the image of God. They're our partners. Yeah. And while it's not necessarily everything that we want it to be in a modern society, yeah, it is God completely radically changing the world around them. Yeah. Which he is still doing. Mm-hmm. Amen. God actually wants us to be different than we are today, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That we are conforming to the image of his son. He wants us to be better. He wants us to be better. He wants us, he He wants our old life to fade mm-hmm. and our new life to gain traction. Yeah. That can be a process. I've met some people where it's like that. Yeah. Like 
I know I know some people where it's like the Lord got a hold of their life. They had like drug addicted, alcohol addicted, and they had no desire for that ever again moving forward, like straight right. up healing. I've met other people where it's like they came to Jesus and they're like, I still struggle. And and I've and I've heard people be like, Well, it's a matter of faith. And I'm like, or it's a matter of the journey. Yeah, I would and I would push back against that because yeah. one of the things that Moses says that from God as he says, you're going to go into the land and you're not going to take it all immediately. Yeah. Because otherwise the, the Satans will okay. rise up and they will, they'll destroy you. Yeah. It's not for God's benefit that it's happening slowly through your life. It's for yours. And it's not for us to determine what journey the Lord has put that person on. Our job's to walk alongside them. I love that. With that, we're going to close the episode there because we've been talking far too long. And uh, I covered a lot of ground. Yeah, I covered a lot of ground. Next week, we're going to have uh, Caleb Fox with us. Mm-hmm. We'll be uh, moving into the next session of Deuteronomy. And then I think he'll be with us through the following week where we're actually going to close out the book of Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. So if you have any questions to put into our Q&A, this would be the time to send them. Mm-hmm. And context at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, the Tickety Talk. You can listen to us on Audible. Not Audible. Why am I saying Audible? We're not on Audible. We are on Amazon and uh, Apple and Spotify not Google, and a lot of other places. And you can also watch us on YouTube if you just do not value your eyesight. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right, until next time. Bye. That's a wrap for today's episode. We want to extend a heartfelt thank you for tuning in and spending your valuable time with us. We hope that you found today's conversation insightful and that you take something meaningful from it. If you have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at loveandcontext at gmail.com and we will be sure to get back to you. Remember, you can always engage with our content on all your favorite listening platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Love and Context on Instagram and Facebook for updates. Wow, this is all stupid. <laughs> let, me, let me just do everything again. Everything again. Ben just cut all this out. Right. Happens in the, in the book of Samson. Not Sam, the book of Samson. Wow. Judges. Uh, this is going to be quite the editing. One of the reasons that you would leave fruit producing food or from the tribe of Joseph. Tribe of Joseph's not a. I know. The tribe of Joseph's not a thing. Sorry. Let me say that again. Our determination to determine. Well, I mean, I mean, let me, let me, let me Dude, those are words. That was. I was going to say. You know,